You're listening to an adult Sunday school class at Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. And so we're coming to the end of the confession, and it turns attention to death, of the state of men after death, and of the resurrection of the dead. And so we are looking at chapter 32. Again, if you have your confessions, pull them out, or Greg passed around, uh, passed out some copies of this chapter for you. And I'll do this this week and next week, because, you know, I've been encouraging people to buy them, but at this point, you know, maybe that ship has sailed and you can just have copies. Um, So... Here we are, chapter 32, resources. Okay, I'm a little bit, all, uh, you know, not, anyway, I'm scattered. Uh, resources, where are we? These great general resources, these all will deal with the topic that we're talking about today, personal eschatology is what, it, what it's called. Death, individual death, individual resurrection. Eschatology, uh, it, it means study of the last things. Eschatos in Greek means the last, the end. And so eschatology, the study of the end things, the last things. And we call it personal eschatology because it's about individuals, each individual and what happens at the end. And then next week, we'll talk about general, the general eschatology, what's happening generally with the last final judgment and all those kinds of things. But all of these resources will treat it. So if you have one of these systematic theologies, uh, they will treat it. Great resources. All of them would be talking about death and resurrection. And then um, particularly on eschatology, I have one book that I think is phenomenal. And I've been told I recommend everything highly. And I guess I do. And if you recommend everything highly, then you recommend nothing highly. Um, But okay, I'm sorry. Um, This is a book called Grounded in Heaven, Recentering Christian Hope and Life on God by Michael Allen. Phenomenal. If, you think, if you're thinking about eschatology, if you like to think about, uh, you know, amillennialism, premillennial, premillennialism, postmillennialism, if you think about transformationalism, what will this world be like in the new heavens, new earth, all these kinds of questions, um, really helpful in dealing with some of these topics. Um, and what is it going to be like to see God? Just wonderful. And um, one day I'll do a book study on it and we can read it together and read through it. Wonderful, wonderful book. Um, So I I recommend that. That's all I got for you today, okay? So we can now go to the confession. So let's turn our attention to chapter 32. Any general comments, questions before we jump in? Okay, great. So you have it before you. I guess what I will do... No, I'm not going to read this whole first section. I'm going to read a few parts of it, and then we'll, we'll work through each part of it. But we are dealing with death and the reality of death. And in 2022, we don't like to think about death, right? We push death to the outskirts of town. Churches don't have cemeteries. Where are cemeteries? They're on the outskirts of town, so you don't have to go past them unless you need to. We don't have people dying in our homes. Our parents and our grandparents aren't dying near to us. Where do they go? They go to the nursing home. They go to a hospital. We don't see death happening. We don't see dead bodies. When we look at a dead body, we're freaked out by it. And this is new in the history of, of, of humankind, We are so um, outside of the realm of the presence of death that we don't even know how to think about it. And I think the pandemic has shown us we are scared to death of death as a culture. Death is terrifying to us. And for these reasons and many other reasons, I think this is is an area, and again, I say this, I love this topic. It's so important uh, for us as Christians to wrestle with the reality of death. And so we're dealing with it, of the state of men after death. You have to consider your own death. You will die unless Christ comes back beforehand. 
you will die and you need to come to terms with that. We all need to come to terms with that. And so this is an important chapter because it makes us wrestle with this. And the confession calls us back to this biblical reality that we will all die. And I think we're all better off thinking about death, right? It's not morbid. It's not this weird fascination that maybe some people have that. But to Christians, thinking about death is a good and a healthy thing. And so we're thinking about it. We're going to talk about it. And so let's start with this first phrase here. As the first, uh, the first paragraph, first section is answering this question, what happens when we die? What happens when we die? And so the confession starts off with this. The bodies of men after death return to dust and see corruption. We're going to stop there and stay here for a few moments. The bodies of men after death return to dust and see corruption. There's a lot going on even in these few words. And one of those, remember to step back, we saw in chapter six, section two of the confession, I'm sure you all remember that humans are bodies and souls. A human being is not simply a soul trapped in a body, trapped in some external robe, but the human is the body and the soul together. This is classic uh, dichotomist view of the human person. We are body and soul wedded together. And so when our bodies die is what's being questioned or what's being discussed here. When our bodies die, what happens to them? They return to dust and see corruption. This is unnatural. This is not right. This is not how we were created to be. You remember in Genesis 2, what God said to Adam, right? He said, if you sin, if you eat of the tree, in the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. Human death was not something that occurred prior to the fall. Human death is an unnatural curse upon us because of our sin. And then we see the curse after Adam and Eve fell. After um, This is Genesis 3.19, where God tells Adam, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So God curses Adam and all humankind, you will die, you will return to dust. Your bodies will die. This is the result of sin, result of the fall on all of us. And so we see death is not a good thing. It is now a natural thing. It's, it's really fundamentally an, an unnatural thing because it is something uh, that was not a part of the good creation. But now it's, it's something that we will all experience. It is a common thing for all humanity. But it is not good. But it is inevitable unless Christ returns first. So the emphasis here in this first phrase is the unnaturalness of it, right? We will return to dust and see corruption. It's, re- it's reflecting that curse language and the corruption aspect of this. Our bodies will lie in the grave and they will be corrupted by the, the natural degeneration of our bodies, right? And so that's what's happening to our bodies, and so let's go on. Well, we'll, we'll stop there for a brief moment. Um, no, sorry. I have one other thing I want to say. Sorry. So uh, uh, one other aside that our shorter catechism brings up that is really, uh, I think, wonderful and, and glorious. It talks about the person lying in the grave, the person who has died, that body that's lying there. And sometimes, you know, we'll, we'll look at an open casket and say, oh, that's not grandma. That's not grandma anymore. But the confession actually says, yes, it is. Listen to this. This is a shorter catechism. It says, the bodies 
uh, Shorter Catechism 37. What benefits do believers receive at death? The benefits is a couple things, but I'm focusing on this one phrase. The bodies of believers are at their death being still united to Christ. They do rest in their graves till the resurrection. So it's interesting, fascinating. The bodies of believers in their death are still united to Christ. And they get this from Rob, 1 Corinthians 4, or 1 Thessalonians 4. Rob, where are you? Are you here, Rob? Oh. What an incredible servant there. What an incredible servant. We had a discussion about this this week. 1 Thessalonians 4. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4 talks about this resurrection and talking about those who are, are dead now, talking about they sleep in Jesus. Even though we are dead, our bodies are dead, they are still united to Christ, still united to their Savior. So we see grandma in the casket and say, oh, that's not grandma, and don't worry about it. No, this is the same body that's united to Jesus Christ. Even though it's dead, it won't stay dead. Why will it not stay dead? Because of the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so there's a real dignity that the shorter catechism puts upon even the dead human body. There's a dignity that it ought to receive. That's why we see all in the Jewish tradition. How was Jesus's body treated after death? It was embalmed, treated with great reverence. It was buried with great dignity. And this is the Christian tradition ever since, right? For the majority report is this kind of treating the dead body with great dignity because it is still united to Christ. And so the Shorter Catechism um, emphasizes this resting until Christ returns. The Confession emphasizes the corruption and the unnaturalness of it. But both of these things are true. It's a resting while corrupting, awaiting the bodily resurrection. Mary Alice. Ah, cremation. Yeah. I was wondering if somebody would go there. Um, so I, I will give you a few thoughts um, that are not from Scripture, right? So I want to be very careful um, on this. And I can't speak more than what I said. I think what I said is biblical, right? Now, what do we do after, after death? Um, what should we do with bodies? How should we treat them? And I think we need to, to our conversation earlier, we need to be intentional. We need to be thoughtful about what we do. We don't just do what the culture does just because that's what the culture does. We don't um, go through the motions just because everybody else does it this way. Um, we don't say, well, just, just burn my body because I don't want to be a, a, a cause, a, you know, a, cremate me because I don't want to cause a problem for anybody else. Um, I think we need to be a little more thoughtful, stop and say, why? Right? What does this show? What does this demonstrate? What does cremation demonstrate? Um, the argument could be made that it demonstrates a lack of respect for the body. Some could say that, right? There are other reasons people might do cremation. Um, and I can't say it's immoral or a sin or anything like that, but I want to say, what's the best way to dignify the human body that will rise again on the last day, right? Um, now, uh, we'll, we'll get to this later, but it's the self-same body that dies that will, will rise again, right? It's the exact same body. Now, what does that mean? Because people die at sea and their bodies fall apart and, you know, are eaten by fish and whatever. Uh, the bodies in the grave rot and they go into the earth and then they become, you know, oil thousands of years down the road, right? Um, our, our bodies are now, you know, bodies from the flood are now being consumed in our cars, uh, and now going up as greenhouse gases, right? So, so okay, what do we say? The self-same bodies, is it the molecules? Is it the cells? Is it, I don't know. I don't know. But we see, it sees corruption and the same bodies will be raised up again. I don't know. Um, and so, no, because you're cremated doesn't mean your body's not gonna be raised again. It will, absolutely. 
So um, I'm not, I don't think it's a denial of any of those realities, but I just want to encourage us to be thoughtful. And because somebody's cremated doesn't mean it's sinful or wrong. Um, you can probably see my preference that I told Erica when I die, please don't cremate me um, because I, I, I don't want that for myself, but I can't say that is a law, thus saith the Lord. Um, and so that's, that's kind of where all, where all, yeah, that's what much as I want to say. Yeah, great question. You can ask Pastor Wright when he gets back to teach. That's right. That's right. We don't know. We don't know what, the, what it will look like. Uh, we know it will have resemblance to what it is now because it's going to be like Christ's resurrected body. People knew him. People could see and recognize it was him. Um, and so there will be recognition. But yeah, how old will you be? I, I don't know. Will you be as old as you are when you die? I mean, will you be, you know, like, what is, I don't know. There's, I don't know. 29. <laughs> Thus saith Mary Alice. <laughs> but our bodies will be better than they've ever been in this earth, right? They will be greater and more glorious and more beautiful and more honoring to God than they've ever been at any point in this life. Yeah. That's right. Right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, it's a great reminder. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. I was thinking of the last thing with Joseph when he was when he died in Egypt. Said, "Bring my bones back to Jerusalem." That's right. And there was an idea that, so it sounds like his bones were a testament to being brought into the new, new land, into, mm-hmm. into Israel. And so it, it's, it sounds like, if anything, it's, it, an argument might be it's a testament to the people that are still living That's right. that their bodies will be resurrected. That's right. If body, it will be resurrected mm-hmm. the last. Exactly, exactly. Um, and, it, and it's amazing to think on that last day when you, you look out at the cemetery, right? It's, it's going to be a, a field of resurrection as the bodies come out of the field. It's going to be a glorious reality on that final day. And as, you know, I, I love old churches where you have the cemeteries walking through and you're reminded of your death and your mortality and the resurrection every time you walk into worship, right? Um, it's a wonderful thing um, to be reminded of that, of that reality. Um, I don't think so, because the Hebrews refused to burn bodies, even the people they hated the most. I think there's one instance of uh, an enemy king being burned in the Old Testament, and that was the highest of insults you could pay to anybody was to burn their dead body. And the, uh, and, but other people did that. Other cultures practiced that in, in the ancient Near East. I don't know exactly to what extent and who all and all the details, but they did. And uh, you see how, how, um, how Israel took seriously the, the body. And we see Joseph as a prime early example of saying, no, I want my body buried in the promised land. This is the dwelling place of God. Um, and did he know all the future and what's going to happen and where Christ will return, you know, all these things? No, but um, it was a testimony to I want to be uh, I, I, there was a sense that, that resurrection was being anticipated. Um, and uh, anyway, I, I don't remember if I even answered your question. I just well, started going. Is, obviously, history, you know, we're not the first generation. Right, right. History, that's right. To point towards some application here. Yeah, yeah, that's right. 
That's right. And there's a lot more we could, we could say and do and dive into that history. I want to keep moving on. They're really important um, topics. Uh, I want to I move on, and maybe one day we can do a whole Sunday school on cremation. Because um, it is an important thing for us to think. And, and I would just say, um, be thoughtful and engaged with it. Um, and, and again, I'm not saying there's a wrong or a sinful way to do this, but be engaged. Yeah, Ernie. And I've heard that there's rumors that we're going to establish a crypt in the basement underneath Redeemer. Have you heard this? Talk to Sam Wilsey. I think he's the mastermind behind this. Danny, is that correct? Oh, the retaining wall over here. Okay, it's going to become a crypt. So we don't have the land space to bury people, but we can put you underneath the parking lot. Great. Okay. All right. So the bodies. The body. So we're dichotomous view. We're body and soul. So this is what's happening to the body at death. And we need to get to the resurrection. So let's see if we can keep keep moving along. Um, But their souls, this is back to section one, but their souls of those who after death, uh, which neither die nor sleep, having an immortal subsistence, immediately return to God, to God who gave them. Okay. uh, Step back here. The souls, it says the souls do not die nor sleep. They are immortal. And I don't know if we think about this enough. The soul is immortal. The soul doesn't die. And there have been different theories of what happens to the soul. Have you heard of soul sleep? And that's what they're talking about here. Soul sleep, where your soul loses consciousness until the resurrection. Uh, but biblically, we don't see that bearing out. We have, you know, rich man and Lazarus. We see uh, the souls of the martyrs who are in heaven crying out, waiting for Christ's return, uh, waiting for their blood to be vindicated. We see a conscious awareness of the souls who are not yet united to their, reunited to their body. And neither are souls destroyed or killed. Some people have an annihilationist view of the soul that if you die under judgment, then your soul is annihilated and it just ceases to exist. But again, the biblical witness, and we don't have time to go through all that, is not that the soul dies, ceases to exist, or that it sleeps for a time. The soul is conscious and aware and is immortal, not immortal in the ultimate sense that God is immortal, but it is, has a derivative immortality that as soon as it's created, it will exist for eternity. The human person is an eternal person. Like if, if you take that, that out of context, you know, I'll be a heretic and, and um, you know, brought up on charges at Presbytery. Um, but we are immortal and eternal from the time we're created into eternity thereon. Um, and that is how we were made to be. Right, right. Right. Yeah. So you're you're asking how to what extent can we take the rich man and Lazarus, this parable told by Jesus as fact and true? Forget I said it. Okay. Forget I said it. Um, it's a worthy discussion. I do think there's some principles we can pull, but no, there. You're right. It seems like maybe there's a body involved. Talks about his tongue and some of these things. Um, I think, I think it can prove my point that there's consciousness, but I'm not sure we can prove much from it because it is a parable. We don't know how much of it Jesus intended to be taken as teaching beyond the point uh, that you have the, you have the prophets, you have the word of God. That's what you need for salvation. You don't need anything extra than that. So I'm not, I'm, I don't want to touch that. <laughs> Thank you for raising it. Um, all right. So uh, the soul is, is immortal. It still lives after our bodies die. And uh, you think of old cemeteries, again, sorry, an aside, I shouldn't do this. An aside, old cemeteries, they'll say, here lies the body of blank, right? Here lies the body, 
That's a very good theological statement. It's not this, this person. It, it is their person. It is this person. It is their body. But it's accounting also that we're not just body. We're, we're soul as well. So, Erica, you can put that on my, my gravestone. Um, all right. Sorry. I shouldn't have gone down that path. Now I'm, I've tripped myself up. Where are we? Okay. So, um, and, and so souls immortal. After death, the souls return to God who gave them. Now, this is fascinating. All souls. Believing, unbelieving, return to God. And it explains what this means. Uh, so first talks about the souls of the righteous. But, but this is fascinating because we talk about hell as separation from God. And that's not really a confessional statement. Because here it says, the souls of those who are under judgment return to God and are judged in the presence of God. Hell is very much the presence of God. It is the wrathful presence of God. It's not the gracious presence of God. And so the confession is making this statement, we all return to God, but whether you experience his grace, grace or his wrath depends on whether you are in Christ. So the souls of the righteous being made perfect in holiness are received into the highest heaven where they behold the face of God in light and glory, waiting for the full redemption of their bodies. This is a glorious thing. Upon the death of the Christian, your soul is immediately made perfect in holiness, right? Your soul is now purified, purified from any sin, any stain, it is at that point fully, completely sanctified. It's what we're desiring in this life, to be more sanctified, to be more like Christ. At that moment of death, we are sanctified completely. And this is the first phase of what we call glorification, being glorified completely as we were intended from creation. So we were made perfect in holiness, received into the highest heavens. Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise to the man who dies on the cross beside him in faith. Today, in that moment, you will be with me in the highest heavens. And here you behold the face of God. This is the blessing, the Old Testament blessings, that God's face would be upon you. And in this life, that face is always mediated by his word. We don't see the face of God. We can't see the face of God. We see the face of God insofar as he has revealed it through his word. It's a mediated face. We do theology mediated through his word. But there we will see an unmediated face of God. We will see God as he is. And again, we see, we think of eyes. We won't have our bodily eyes. We'll be a soul, but we'll be able to behold and see in a sense God's very presence. This is what we're looking for. This is why the Michael Allen book is worth $1,000, to talk about this reality, the beatific vision, that blessed vision of God's very essence that we behold as his people. Glorious things, and we are waiting for the full redemption of their bodies. Oh, in light and glory, waiting for the full redemption of their bodies. And so as glorious as this this will be, okay, one second, Mary Alice, as glorious as this will be, we are still waiting There will still be a sense of yearning for Christ's return. This isn't perfection yet. This isn't the garden, the new heavens and new earth being being instituted finally. This is waiting, a preparation, but beholding the glory of God, but waiting for our bodies to be reunited to our souls. Mary Alice. Okay, we have this first part of this confession talks about heaven and hell. Where shall we go from the Lord? Yeah, Sheol. Great question. Sheol is, um, hold on, let me, let me look at something real quick. I want to see if I can punt till next week. Okay, no. Um, so Sheol is a way of Hebrew speaking about what happens to people after they die. 
Um, Sheol sometimes has a negative sense of being a place of judgment and torment, but Sheol doesn't necessarily have that sense. And so I think it's probably better, generally speaking, to see Sheol, this Old Testament Hebrew word for hell, as a physical place of where physical bodies go after death. And it's talking about the grave, the depths of the earth that your body is swallowed up within. And so it's not necessarily speaking of judgment. There's some places where you do see in the Psalms, for example, speaking of Sheol as a place of judgment for the wicked. Um, But primarily it's talking about, uh, again, just a physical, like your body is now in the earth. It is now in a place waiting for the resurrection. So your body's seeing corruption. It is not a third place for the soul. That's right. That's right. And, and the confession is actually going to explicitly deny that, this doctrine that, that the Roman Catholic Church will, will kind of extrapolate upon and make yeah, purgatory, limbo, some of these other ideas. If we have time, we'll get to it. I doubt it. But if we have time, we'll get to it. Um, but that, that's a good, a good question. And I've got some articles, Mary Alice, if you want to read them, I can send them to you. So let me know. So um, this is the bodies of the righteous. And, he, you know, that, that, that's a fascinating phrase. I just want to highlight here the bodies of the righteous, right? This isn't the righteous people who've been perfectly righteous in this life. This is the righteous, those who've been declared righteous by Jesus Christ. This is those who look to Christ by faith. This is not people who've made themselves righteous in this life. This is those who look to Jesus Christ and have received his perfect righteousness. So this isn't saying if you meet this standard of righteousness, then you get to go to heaven. This is if you are in Christ, if you are found in Christ by looking to him by faith, you are received into the highest heavens. How would people come to think that when we die, or when babies die, they become angels? <laughs> I have no idea. Question is, why do people think when babies die, they become, that when babies die, they become angels? I don't know. I don't know. I, I can try to look that up and see, but I'm not sure where that comes from. Yeah, and, and there's a sense of, I mean, it, it's, it denies the reality of our bodies, um, and it's, it's this kind of Gnostic um, sense of um, a platonic sense that our, our souls are escaping and become their true selves like, like angels, something like that. And Jesus says, yeah, we'll be like the angels in a certain way, but they maybe take that to an extreme. That's a good, a good postulation. So, yeah, good, good question. So let's look at the souls of the wicked. The souls of the wicked are cast into hell where they remain in torment and, and utter darkness reserved for the judgment of the great day. And we'll stop there. So the souls of the righteous in Christ are given eternal glory and blessedness even that day they die. But the souls of the unrighteous, the wicked, are cast into hell. Those not in Christ. And even the day they die, they will, their souls will be cast into hell and they will, um, they will experience torment and darkness. This is a sobering, sobering reality. Um, one we don't think about enough or maybe teach on enough. Um, but the soul of the unbeliever immediately experiences hell. Waiting for the judgment of the last day, that's what we'll talk about next, next week, next chapter, is that judgment. What does that judgment look like? But even before the final proclamation, they are, they, they are sinners and thus they go to hell. Uh, they are wicked and they will experience damnation. And the confession says, besides these two places, for souls separated from their bodies, the scripture acknowledgeth None. So there's no purgatory that's not in Scripture. This is an ex- explicit denial of the Roman Catholic teaching of purgatory. 
Um, also denial of the Roman Catholic teaching of limbo. There's the limbus patrum, where the Old Testament saints were, were said to, to be in limbo for a while until Christ came. And then after Christ came, then they could go to heaven. So we're denying that reality. Limbus, uh, what do they call it? Limbus and phantom, uh, where they talk about children dying before they're baptized, go to this baby limbo forever because, you know, what happens to them before they're baptized? Where do they get to go? Maybe they haven't committed an actual sin. Um, there's all kinds of interesting, uh, unbiblical speculation, and we're denying that. There's two places you go upon death. And so let's move to section two, um, and uh, we'll, we'll briefly get through these. I think we hit the bulk of these realities, what happens at death, but... What's next? What happens when Christ returns? Section two. At the last day, this is biblical language for the judgment day. You see it all through scripture. When Christ returns at the last day, such as are found alive shall not die, but be changed. So if you're alive when Christ returns, you won't die. You don't experience death, but you will be changed and you will be fit for your eternal uh, destination at that point in time. And that's biblical language they're using there. And all the dead shall be raised up with the selfsame bodies and none other although with different qualities, which shall be united again to their souls forever. So everybody, this is a universal general um, resurrection. Everybody, believer and unbeliever will be raised and their body and soul will be reunited. Everybody. It's not just the Christian who will be raised up. It's everybody will be raised when Christ returns. But then what happens to our new bodies? When these bodies and souls are reunited as they're longing to do upon the death of the human body, They're longing to be reunited. Section three says this. The bodies of the unjust shall, by the power of Christ, be raised to dishonor. The bodies of the just, by his spirit, unto honor. And be made conformable to his own glorious body. There's a lot of scripture that I have in here to have been reading this whole time. And I've uh, not done so for the sake of time. But I want to read this from John 5. An hour is coming, as John 5, 28 and 29. An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice, Christ's voice, and come out. So all, right? This is the general resurrection. Everybody will rise. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Where the King James there more strongly says the resurrection of damnation. And so we see these two outcomes and uh, John, you know, we could talk about those who've done good and those who've done evil. What does that mean? And is this works righteousness? And we'll, we'll say, no, that's not what John is saying. That's not what Jesus is saying in that passage. Um, but there's these two destinations. You are raised to the resurrection of judgment or the resurrection of life. So Jesus says, I am the way that, no, uh, I'm the resurrection and the life is what he said. I'm the resurrection and the life. Yes, he's a resurrection for everybody, but we don't want just a general resurrection We want the resurrection of life. Jesus says, it is me who gives that. It is in me that you receive that. And he talks about, uh, this confession talks about that resurrection of the just being unto honor, being being dignified and glorified, an honorable existence for us in God's presence, bestowing an honor upon us as heirs with Christ. And then those who are not in Christ will be raised to dishonor. And what this section isn't talking about is the judgment that's here that we're kind of hitting upon at various uh, points. 
It's not talking about that because we'll get to that next week. We'll talk about the, ju- the judgment, what that looks like, what that means. But here we're thinking about our own bodies and our own souls. And this, of course, should make us to think about our own bodies, our own souls, and what's going to happen. What, how we, how, what will happen to my soul, my body upon death? And this should be a comfort for the Christian. Comfort for those as we face death, as we see death coming. Some of us see it coming long down the road. Some of us never see it coming because it takes us so quickly. But for the Christian, this is an encouragement to us that upon your death, you will be in the glorious presence of God. And it should help us face death because death has been conquered by Christ. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. The dead in Christ will rise first. There does seem to be a priority to the, to the believer. The believer will be rise will rise up and and meet him in the clouds. I think is the language there, right? Right? We will rise and and enjoy the presence of God as we see then the unbelievers rising um, and see the judgment rendered upon them um, from God's side. Yeah, from Christ's side in heaven. Yeah. So there's some, some seems to be some kind of priority. I don't want to read too much in it or say we know with great certainty what that means, but I think there's some of those general principles that we can see. What else? What else? Thoughts? One, two. Uh, two, two things. Uh, after the final judgment, is, is that a, could that be understood to be an extermination after, the, the, after they are raised? The, the confession kind of speaks against that. And right. There's talks about, like, if you're beaten with fewer, if you didn't understand, you'd be beaten with fewer strokes. Right, and there's right. Great, there seems to be gradations of both rewards and yeah. punishments. Um, That's right. In scripture. Yeah, I think we'll get to that a little bit next week. Um, but I think you're right that, um, no, well, you're, you are right that no, the, the unbeliever does not cease to exist after the judgment. That's, again, that annihilationist view. And that's why they talk about the soul being immortal. It's not going to cease to exist even after the judgment. Um, and so that's right. And then the question of, are there, um, are there gradations and rewards and punishments? And, and yes, I do think that's correct. And we'll, we'll come, circle back to that next week. It's a good point. That's right. The Revelation 6, 10, I think, you have the souls crying out, how long, how long do I have to wait that's right. So the, the comment was, even in this, um, some call it intermediate state, waiting for our bodies to be reunited to our souls, there's still not a complete contentment, right? Well, there's a contentment, but there's, not, there's an understanding that, that this is not how it's supposed to be. We're waiting for that final day. As you said, right, the souls crying out, how long, O Lord? Waiting for Christ's return, waiting for our bodies to be reunited. And that's happening today in heaven, right? The souls of the saints are waiting. When will Christ return? All the saints in heaven are awaiting that day as we are as well. So would you be comfortable in saying the New Testament accounts of those who have died and been brought back to life, how is that reconciled with this particular part of them? Yeah, so New Testament examples of those dying and... That's right. The, the young girl who dies, Christ raises, you know, what happens to them? And I, I would say these things are true. Uh, maybe they experienced heaven for a little bit, uh, this kind of uh, glorious existence. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I can say much more than that, that, prob- that these things are true and they, their bodies died and their bodies resurrected as well. Like what happened to Lazarus while he was in the grave? But yeah, both are true. I don't know exactly what that means. Uh, unfortunately, Lazarus didn't write a book, you know, three days in heaven uh, for us to have. Um, I wish he had. It would have been great. 
Um, but I am highly skeptical of those kinds of books written today um, because we don't... Anyway, I'll stop that. Okay, uh, did I see another hand? Okay, well, we are um, only two minutes over today, so that's, that's a success. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you have given us your son and us being united in him, body and soul, gives us incredible hope for the future, that we will be in your presence for eternity. Thank you for this glorious hope that we look to with great anticipation. Oh, Father, continue to prepare us for our own death. Even as we worship here in the coming hour, build us. May we, with great anticipation, await that day of Christ's return. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, we pray. In his name, amen. Go in peace. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org.